What's going on, everyone? It's Mitch from RespectMyReason.com, back with another episode of the RMR Podcast. We're looking at West Coast Cannabis today. We got Dave Holmes of Clay 9. How are you doing today, Dave? Good, man. Thanks for having me on. 100, man. Appreciate you hopping on here, man. Excited to get into this episode and have this conversation. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, every guest, you know, the question number one I start off with is the origin story with the plant, the plant being cannabis, so whether that's personal, professional, a little bit of both. Just curious, kind of when you, Dave, and, and we started your uh, journey together. Ooh, <laughs> this is a fun one. Um, I was nine years old. And my brother was uh, selling weed and he, we went to visit my uncle's house and my uncle was growing weed in the backyard. So my brother was like, Hey, we got to go down there with me and pick some buds off. <laughs> Cause we're going to go sell these, you know, buds to your friends in fifth grade or whatever. So that was my first experience. It was literally going down and cutting buds off as a nine year old kid, um, taking them up to my brother's you know, house. And then, drying them out in an old record player lid. And then, you know, he literally packaged that shit up to me, gave it to me to sell to my fifth grade friends, and that was it. <laughs> and, of course, I got busted <laughs> for selling weed, and he got arrested, you know, taken down to the LAPD station. And I, I remember vividly being in the car with my mom. And at the time, and I've been looking for these things forever, they had these dare rulers that had all the drugs listed. And, you know, we were waiting to pick up my brother from the station. I had one of those rulers. I'm like, mom, what are barbiturates? What are opiate? Like all these drugs. And, and just, yeah, that was, that's, that was my first experience. It was like, kind of like, you know, uh, fun that turned into, you know, a, a tough moment with my brother getting arrested, but it was, he got out. It was, he was like, you know, uh, in, in junior high school. So they gave him a slap on the wrist. Um, but that was it. And, you know, I was like smoking really young, like nine, 10 years old. Um, and then I took a break for a long time because I, I gotten in trouble, just wanted to clean up. And so I was literally clean for many years after that and reintroduced in college to a, a cultivator who uh, showed me indoor cultivation. Hmm. What, 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 what time was that? Um, that was around 1999. I came back. This is like many years after those first experiences, you know, like picking, you know, uh, buds off my uncle's plant in the backyard. Um, like 1999, a friend of mine in college was like, uh, we're studying, you know, for, uh, for like a test and he had like a big ass bag of weed in his pocket, you know, and as we're studying and I'm just like, I'm like, damn, what? what do you have on you? He's like, yo, check this out. This is like this Hawaiian. I just grew this shit in my hydroponic garden. And I'm just like, what? What is hydroponics, you know? And he was just like, you gotta come check it out. And he, he, we drove over to his crib and he busted out this laboratory that he had built in his college apartment. And I was like, damn, I gotta do this. How do, how do you do this, you know? And then he showed me, he's like, yeah, you gotta go up to San Francisco to the, you know, the buyer's club and you get clones. And he had like, I remember he had Hawaiian, he had pure haze, he had like some white widow or something else. And then that, that was it. That was the bug that got me going in cultivation. Get, get, getting to see what, what, how many lights did he have? Oh, I, we were talking two lights. <laughs> two to four <laughs> lights. He was like two to four lights. But 
I mean, when you see that, when you're like, you know, 21 year old kid, you're just like, whoa, this is, you're going to go, you're going to go to jail for a long time, man. It's just dangerous, you know? And it was dangerous at those times, but it was literally two lights and and like maybe a little veg space. Um, But he just, you know, that it was so technical. And at the time I was getting my degree in math, right? So I was really thinking technically and um, focused on like science and physics, computer science. That was the shit I really liked. So to, to, to see this like really technical um, contraption growing up, I didn't even know you could grow plants indoors. I was like, what? Mm-hmm. This is crazy. And so I think that kind of got me into it too, is like the science behind it. I was really interested in, um, I was just interested in learning at that point. So just um, to see something new, uh, it, it really inspired curiosity. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. That's, 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 uh, did, did you recognize this, the scent to us? You said as soon as you oh, smoked yeah. the bag, you're like, yeah, oh, I yeah, know exactly yeah. what this is. <laughs> I mean, my family has been around cannabis since, you know, um, multiple generations. My brother was, he was actually growing. The, the, the brother that, that had me sell the weed and got in trouble, he was growing. And so when I told him, like, hey, I saw this hydroponic grow, he's like, yeah, I've been growing for five years hydroponically. I'm like, what? And then he kind of like started showing me, uh, the ropes really. So that friend that introduced me randomly in college, I just kind of got a pointers from him. But then I quickly told my brother what I saw. And he was like, come on, let me show you what's up. So then my brother showed me his 16 light room that he had already built. And then that's kind of where I really started to learn from my brother. Um, and he, he had already been breeding at the time. So he was like, he's like, here is the, the uh, I think it was like, a, I forgot back in the day how you did it. But it was a catalog for heaven stairway seeds. And so then we, he showed me how to order and I ordered, I think bubble gum from Sirius seeds. I ordered maybe some AK 47 and some Dutch passion white widow. <laughs> and he gave me some seeds that he did, which was a blueberry cross with the strain called Niagara. And that was like my first set of seeds. And I built a little chamber in my girlfriend's garage with a one 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 thousand HPS light and a, a wall AC unit, and that was that was fucking my first one lighter. What at what point did you did you break into commercial growing? Uh, commercial growing, uh, two thousand six probably, two thousand seven is where I was like, okay, I'm gonna. I have customers, you know, from my little four lighter in the house, <laughs> and I think I'm ready to go to the warehouse. So I started to research, you know, like collectives and, you know, in the in the time in California, like the mid 2000s, um, things were starting to ramp up a lot. And uh, there was kind of like this effort to get people legal through these collectives that would protect your cultivations. And that's about the time that I started to look at the commercial growth because I realized, hey, I could get protected for cultivating for these patients, you know. And that was... Yeah, that was about 2006, 2000, 2006, I rented a little warehouse and we started going commercial, but it was, it was nothing like today. We're talking like 12 lighters, you know, like yeah. 18 lighters, um, up until a little bit later, then we start going bigger, maybe like 2010. And what, what point did you come up with the, with the brand name Clay nine? Well, two, in 2015 or 14, I think we came up with clay nine itself originally we were called Canagen and we thought it was a dope name because we love breeding. You know, we, a lot of the varieties that we grow today, we bred ourselves. So 
we were like, ah, oh, Canna, Canagen, Cannabis Genetics, you know, that's a dope name. And we thought of that in 2009. I even trademarked it. But then 2010 rolls around, 2011 rolls around, and you start to see like Canna this, Canna that. There were so many Cannas coming on the scene. It was like, dude, we're kind of just getting smothered. If you look at a list of who's at the event, there's like 50 Cannas. So we realized we needed to change our name at that point. Um, so eventually the, the clay nine came up and we were like, that's, that's what we got to go for. And, and the reason I chose clay nine, because I, I thought clay was always a really cool word and nobody knew what it was. It was kind of obscure, obscure, you know? And I learned that in grad school when I was getting my master's in math, I was like, Oh shit, that's a dope, that's a dope word clay. So clay nine was like, um, kind of put the nine from the Delta nine with the clay. Yeah. Oh, I like that, man. I, I like that. And I also like that you pivoted away from the canna because, you know, all due respect to the greens and the cannas, but there is, like you said, yeah. you start going to these conferences and look at the business list, the, that, uh, that, that C column. And that <laughs> pretty, yeah. It just, it kept getting bigger and bigger. It's just like, Oh, it's, you're going to get lost in the, in the shuffle, you know? So I, I, I always liked that word clay. The first time I heard it, I was like, Oh, it's a really cool concept, you know? Um, and it comes from evolutionary theory. It's like uh, kind of like in a more advanced way to say a branch on the tree of life. Mm. Um, so it has like that genetic association, which I know is important for us as a brand because we do breed our own strains. And that, that was something that I wanted to get into is like, I know a lot of your guys' genetics are proprietary genetics. So at what point some of these, like, I know, you know, what I'm familiar with, what you guys did, fig bar, diamond bar, mm. diamond dust. When, when did these strains first kind of come about and what were you kind of searching for when you first started the journey to, to breed these? You know, um, my, I think as a breeder, you're always just trying to look for perfection, you know, whatever that means and whatever line you're working on. Um, I started breeding pretty early because my brother always taught me when you get your seeds, you know, like your first seeds, your first thing you should do is make more seeds. So you, you have enough for the next run. So it was, it was, it was really early before the day of clones. There were clones floating around in the nineties, but almost everybody was growing from seed. So I think because everyone was growing from seed, you, you kind of got used to making seeds and that made it easy to think about breeding um, and, and making crosses. So that, that was part of it, I think, is kind of being comfortable with crossbreeding, um, but also just the drive to, to create new stuff and be creative and um, always wanting to improve, you know, on the cultivars that, that we had in our collection. And I mean, the stuff we have now is just like so much more fire compared to what we had back in the day, at least visually. I know there was a lot of strains that were like really good that I, I, that I wish we had because we've gone a little too far in the hybridization. But um, in terms of just like visually, visual appeal and structure, I mean, you know, the, the flower that we have nowadays looks insane compared to what we had 15 years ago. And what do you say, like on that? So we, you know, I've heard a lot of people talk about that. Obviously the colors have gone crazy, you know, purple, you know, I remember when purple, fuck, like, even when I was selling weed, like, even if the weed was stressed, someone would be like, yo, it's not purple, it's stressed. I'm like, I don't even care. I can, I, can, I can get more for this based on the color alone. I don't, like, obviously I want real purple, but I can yeah. still make money on it, you know? So, but, but some people claim that the flavors back then were more, I don't know whether it's more true or whatever. What, what's, what's your take on that? I don't know. I, I feel like there's so many more flavors now and we've seen yeah. so many 
expressions of them. It's hard for me to buy into. I know maybe like true sour D's and things like that that aren't around as much anymore. And, you know, I, we miss those, but I think the flavor game's gone crazy from my perspective. Flavor game's definitely gone crazy. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think um, my theory is that back in the day, because there was less choices, it was easier to remember the flavors. You know, mm. it's like if you have your choices are Sprite and so like Sprite, Coke, and orange soda, you can remember those flavors. But if your if your choices are now Sprite, Coke, orange soda. Sierra Mist, Cosmic, blah, you know, like Cosmic Raspberry, Banana, like the, the flavor profiles, there's so many of them. It's kind of hard for your brain to put a distinct memory on those so many flavors. But when you have a few choices, you kind of really remember them. I think that's part of it. So, you know, those flavors that we used to have back in the day, we just remember because we didn't have a lot of choices. It's like OG, we got Baba, we got the Haze, you know, we got Perps, we got tangies and i think that's one of the reasons that we kind of went the route of classifying our strains by those flavor profiles because they are really distinct you know compared to like this the mixes today i do use the soda analogy a lot but i think it's a good one it's like you have it, it remember when you were a kid and you went to like ampm and you had the, the the sodas and it was like mm -hmm. you have orange soda you have sprite you have cola you have like dr pepper and those are all really distinct, you know, because they're, they're so different from one, one another. And so you could taste one and know what, what they are. It's kind of like those old school strains that we all really understood. Like, this is what it's, this is what the smoke is. This is what the effect is. This is why I like it. This is why I don't like it. But it's when you take them and blend them all together and you try to taste that, it's, it's, so, it's so complicated. You can't even put like, it's hard to even describe it. You yeah. know, if, you, if you blend 10 sodas and drink it, it's like that's never it's it's not bad but it's hard to put a finger on what it is and i think that makes it tough for that to become something that's like widely accepted a hundred percent man a hundred percent and and again you know we're talking about that right right before we went on here like that's something i said i, I like about you guys classifying strains by by families because that's absolutely like how we look at things. And like, for me, you know, as a consumer, like removing myself from the industry, but just as a consumer, when I go into a store and they're like, what do you like? I, I almost want the bud tender to approach it from that family perspective, right? Like I don't like, like the Jack and the hazes and like that, that terpene profile, not personally, not for me. I know yeah. a lot of people love yeah, me it. Me neither. I don't like it either. But yeah, it's and I don't know why you don't like it. But it's like, when I walk into a store, if you can know, I don't want anything with that flavor profile <laughs> limit. Yeah. That erases, you know, your menu gets narrow, right? And then you learn what I like. And it's like, I don't just like, you know, gelato 33, right? Like I like, I like gelatos because I like sherb. So anything that's a sherb or a sherb cross, right? Mm -hmm. Or like, and I like OGs. And, and for me, like good bud tender experiences come from people that kind of understand that, whether they're able to categorize it in the families or not, but understand like, the genetic lineage and what the forward facing flavor profiles of these genetics are. So that's what I like how you guys classify that. Cause it's even if I'm pretty hip to the strains, but if I wasn't hip to the strains, but I know the families I can easily identify. I think I'd be interested in that. Right. And I don't, I don't want that in my session. You know what I mean? No. Yeah. That's, that's exactly, you know, that's yeah. You're, you're, you're following the, the whole point of it perfectly, which is why I think we developed it. And really it, it was, I, I, I got the idea when I started to look at, some of the research guys like Jeff Raber were doing in terpene profiles because um, he did this big study where he took all these uh, terpene profiles from all the um, growers sending into his lab 
and you put them into a program to, to try to classify them using terpene profiles. There's something in statistics called a principal component analysis. And what it, it does is it takes all, let's say 38 different terpenes and compares them by like what terpenes make the biggest difference in, in the actual smell, right? And what he saw was it was just like these clusters of, of strains that were named totally different, but their terpene profiles kind of match. And so that's where I was like, oh, okay, well, that's, that's the future right there. You know, like there's, that's, that's pure science. You're taking terpenes, you're comparing the terpene levels, and you're saying the ones that have terpenes that are similar are similar strains. And, 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 uh, and indica hybrid sativas, you know, they've been so hybridized that terpenes really are probably one of the best ways to describe how they're different now. And that's, that's why we're like, okay, when we start to classify strains, indica hybrid sativa is just not going to make sense because we're, we're a band, we're a, we're a brand based on science and, and, and just being really honest. And so that's the honest way to explain to a consumer like what they're trying to find. And that's what you know from experience, right? It's like that Gelato 33 or that Sherb or that, you know, what Glitter Ball or whatever the newest in, incarnation is, it's it's still like a Gelato cross. Mm -hmm. It has like caryophylline dominant and it has myrcene and limonene in a certain amount that make it similar to Gelato 33. So that's in that class, that's like a gelato or a dessert string, however you want to define it. Those are similar because the terpenes they have are similar and it affects you the same way, you know? Yeah. And, and that makes complete sense. And to, you know, so we were talking about earlier of having the less selection. I, I remember back in the day, very vividly, I was getting packs of Jack for a while that I remember were so green and so flavorful. And I remember like, loving it back in the day not, yeah. maybe not loving it probably wasn't my favorite but it was good and someone similar mm -hmm. to your point earlier brought up to me they're like maybe it wasn't that you liked it so much it was just such a strong terpene dominant flower that your mind just was like wow that's really good and the moment i was able to taste all these different things i was like you know what that's like towards the bottom of of what i actually <laughs> yeah. like you know? so have you had yeah. that experience as a smoker of like liking a strain but as you progress you're kind of like you know what that's really tasty, but it's not for me, you know? Yeah, no, 100%, 100%. Yeah, I think my the first thing I ever smoked was that from my uncle was like, it was called Fuzzy Hawaiian. And it was, I don't remember because it's been so long, but it, it had orange hairs. I do remember that. And that was really, it was really fun. It was like, a, you know, like fucking laugh. You laugh until you almost like cry because it's hilarious as a kid. Um, but that, that's a really good effect. You know, you kind of want to mimic that really fun effect. Um, but you, you discover stuff you don't like for sure. Like I, I can, I can never, for whatever reason, tangy doesn't sit well with me. Mm. You know, the J one is better to me than a tangy, but still, I just don't like it as much for me. Like in my menu, the fig bar is my favorite strain. And then probably the diamond dust too, which are more balanced, but, um, yeah, no, I think everyone kind of finds what they, what they like and you evolve. Yeah, for sure. To find that one cultivar, that family of cultivars that you like. Some people are crazy because they like everything. You know, yeah. like, I love J1. I love the fig bar. I love this. I'm like, hey, man, you have a much more broad palette than I do, you know? <laughs> and, and, what's, and, and that's something that I like, and it's funny even learning that about you, like that you're not the biggest fan of, like, the hazes and stuff, but obviously your menu includes that because I think at the end of the day, you know, another thing I was giving you flowers on before we started is having that menu that's not just – so narrow and singular that we see some people do there's, there's nothing wrong with like hey this flavor we like 
It's right. selling well. Let's just double, triple down on that. I don't think there's necessarily yeah. anything wrong with that, but you know, I think there is something to be said about taking that approach of filling out a menu that kind of covers multiple flavor bases and customers. Yep. Cause just as like, again, just as much as I'm not a big Jack fan, I'll never be on, uh, you know, sit on a pedestal and be like, Oh, that's a trash strain beyond right. the, the legacy that the, that Jack Rare did for cannabis, the individual people on my team love it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sometimes I'll open a jar and I'll immediately be like, man, I don't want this anywhere. And like, people are like, I dips, right? Like that's mine. That's, you know, so I know, like you said, in the session, people have different palates. So um, when it comes to you guys approaching, you know, the curation of your menu, what's the importance of of making sure you're not going too narrow and then also providing kind of all those different flavor profiles? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I've learned a lot about kind of the menu curation, especially having to be in California where it's so competitive versus like other states like Nevada or Arizona, especially early on in those states where you're operating, you could pretty much put out anything. They're going to buy it. It's going to sell out. But yeah, what, what I realized is at least for our brand, we wanted to have one of each of the best of those flavors on our menu. So we wanted to cover everything, right? We wanted to cover a haze. We want to cover a tangy, right? Like with our orange push pop. Um, and, and we wanted to have an OG Kush, right? We want something like in the Bubba family, we want a perp. And then once we kind of found the best in class cultivar for each of the flavors, then we kind of see, okay, well, which one moves the best? Because, you know, I got a, I have a business to run and I want to make sure I, I survive and pay my bills and um, you can't go too narrow. Right. So that's why my thought was we have a, a, a nice curated menu that fits kind of everyone's flavor profile. And then we just figure out how to grow enough of each. Right. So it's like, yeah, fig bars are most popular variety it, it, it's our bestseller followed probably by private reserve and then j1 but there's you know 20 percent of the population that just loves diamond dust so we we, we grow that for them and it, it's it you curate the menu and then you got to kind of figure out how much volume do you do of each flavor so that you're kind of always like keeping everything really fresh you don't want anything sitting on the shelf you want to harvest it you want to trim it test it package it and get it immediately out to the shelf and um, that's you know that'll help your, your customer base be really loyal because nothing better than a fresh flower, you know, that's hasn't been sitting for four or five months. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, I think that was it. It's always just like looking at all the different flavor profiles, trying to find the best of each. And we're always, we're always looking for new flavors that fit, you know, um, if we, if we find like a better tangy orange cross than the orange push pop, it would be replaced, hmm. you know, and it, that's been the process for the last 10 years. And on that, you know, you we, you noted, right, how competitive the California space is specifically, you know, it, it's it's a unique spot because population and capital wise thus far in legalization, it's, it's, you know, it's got the most people. We've seen a lot, a lot of money invested in the industry out there, which makes it, you know, which is good for the industry in some regards, but it makes it difficult to operate in, right? When, when you got yeah. different people competing on the same level with different different uh bank accounts but yeah. behind them right <laughs> yeah i'm at the lower end of the bank account too so you guys yeah. anyone out there has a bigger account call me please but um no it, it does make it tough and, and it's tough too because california because there's so much product being produced um it's easier for like a sales and marketing organization to come in and just kind of like source product from a grower um you know and kind of put it out and nothing wrong with that that's i mean that's like you know how business evolves but um it it makes it it's a tricky kind of catch 22 because 
you're you're kind of selling bulk to survive at, at a lower price point um, to to like a brand only brand that has a they, they don't have as many expenses right mm-hmm. so it's just kind of like crazy balance you know um, each each supporting each other to survive but almost like no one will be profitable until there's just less volume really at the end of, at the end of the day <clears throat> unless we can produce cheaper which is hard to do because we've already invested our infrastructure like we're in the city. You know, our power isn't going down. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, it's the you know the taxes are what's killing killing us all. Just thirty percent excise. You're paying thirty five percent more out the door versus like a trap shop. Yeah. How do we ever compete? You know. Yeah. Until until politicians, not just in California, but especially California, understand that this tax rate is the main thing. Oh, yeah. Not only fucking up the industry, but ultimately causing less taxable dollars to enter the system. Right. You lower these tax dollars the transactions on the system are going to go through the fucking roof. Oh, are going to go through the roof, you know? And then on, on top of the taxes, you have like, we have to pay higher percentage for loans. We can't get, you know, yep. we can't get bank loans. And we have, we can't write off our expenses or taxes on our write-offs are almost, you know, nothing. So um, from every angle, it makes it a really tough business, you know, on the regulated side. And then, you know, back to that menu curation, right? Like the California consumer, you know, like I live in Washington, Washington, Colorado are, are, are the most mature when it comes to adult use or recreation, whatever keywords you want to assign it. I've always said the California consumer is the most con- mature consumer in the country, whether they're as hip to certain things that the echo chamber of education wishes they were at, you know, cannabis industry education wishes they're at in terms of just knowing quality, knowing flavors and knowing the price point and having the access to it. It's the most ma- mature marketplace in the country, which makes it difficult at times to to please something because cannabis mm-hmm. is something that people of all walks of life, all income levels, all demographics consume. Right? It's impossible to please everyone. Yeah. What has kind of gone into figuring out like who those ideal customers are? And again, back to that menu curation of of making sure that you're you're not doing too much, but you're also appeasing these the, these customers because they, they can be difficult in the California market. <laughs> they are. Cali, yeah, Cali customers are difficult. God bless them, you know. Um, but, I, you know, that comes back to the breeding and, and uh, like how do you curate the menu? And when I was talking about you kind of have a, a, a range of flavors um, and, and you create, that's like you're in, your, in your theoretical mind, you're like, okay, we have a, uh, a blueberry to cover this or like a tangy to cover this, an OG to cover this, and we think we have a good menu. After that, it's really just testing in the market, whether it's like through uh, uh, we would throw our string, our taste master parties, you know, where we invite a bunch of people that smoke weed and we have them try all of our flour in different flavors. And we take data on kind of what their experiences are, what they like. And um, that's part of it. You know, uh, looking at sales data, I think there's a lot of data, you know, on top of like the knowledge of what you think the menu should be, it's combining that with actual consumer data and, you know, like your own, your own experiences, you know, everyone that I know, I try to give them flour, especially if it's a new flour to test a variety. So we could get as much feedback as possible before we release something. And sometimes we might think, okay, this is going to be a banger. We release it for whatever reason it doesn't hit, you know, but most of the time, I mean, over the, you know, 15 years or whatever I've been doing, on the breeding side and just testing flavors with people, I think I have a pretty good idea of what is going to be popular, you know? Um, and, and it's also like, it's like the stock market in cannabis, you know, like in 2000, I don't know, 
10, everyone went all in on Blue Dream, right? <laughs> then it just like, it's overgrown. So you got to kind of look at that too. Like, what is everybody growing? So I think the fact that, you know, we have that diverse menu insulates us from the risk of going all in as well, you know, because it's ha it happens every few years. It's whether it's all OG, it's all gelato crosses, it's all Blue Dream, you know, it's all people, go, they, they see something selling and they all go in and they overproduce it. And then- mm -hmm something else comes back. Having said that, OG still been a top seller for, you know, 20 years now. Um, and I think, I think the gelatos will stick around as well as like its own class of flavors that people will, will like a lot. That's why the haze has always been around like the jacks, right? The tangies, the tangies, I don't think sell as much, but there's always a group yeah. of people that just that's their favorite flavor for whatever reason. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, the, the OGs, that's one of the, one of the main things I, you know, I'm lucky I get to go to LA so much or California so much, but I'm, I'm jealous having to live in Washington, man. We don't have near as much OGs. You know, I know we got ghost out here in the, in the, in the Kush family, but you know, yeah. there's, there's not a ton of OGs in this market in California. It's definitely the birthplace and, and they're everywhere. And, and I love that strain. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah, OG has always been a classic, especially growing up in LA and like the 818 specifically. It's just like OG capital of the world, you know, like everybody was growing OG, at least when I was younger and starting to cultivate indoors. And um, it was always that strain you had to grow. So I knew when we dropped our menu, I was like, we have to have a fire ass OG. We have to. It just because we're an LA brand. If you're an LA brand, you got to have an OG. You have to. Yeah. So, and um, yeah, it's it's been great for us. What is. Uh... What is it when you when you set out to breed, you know, a new start putting together a new strain? How long does that kind of take from your your ideation or, or or your thought process to actually having something production ready? So for the, for the customers out there to to understand yeah. how long the process takes, it could, it takes years, and I, I don't think it ever stops. You know, it's kind of <laughs> like this obsession with perfection. It's almost like if you're a chef, right? It's like you don't stop once you found this pizza. Like, oh, this pepperoni pizza is the best. I'm quitting. You know, it's like, I'm going to make it better. What else can we do to make it better, more unique? Um, but I, I think it comes back to kind of that menu profile again and like trying to find best in class stuff. So there's as a breeder, I think you're always working on multiple projects, um, you know, like finding a better OG or finding a better, you know, gelato cross or finding a better jack cross. But then there's other things too. You're like, oh, rare cannabinoids. Like, hey, let's try to develop a THCV strain that has an OG Kush terpene profile. You know, like that sounds pretty cool. Let's try it, <laughs> you know? So the, that's the, the beauty of breeding is you can kind of get really creative, not only with flavors, but with also like rare cannabinoids, you know? Um, and then there's on the cultivation side, cause we're talking mainly consumer side, like how it smokes, how it affects you, how it looks. On the cultivation side, that's part of the breeding as well. Like the yield, right? The structure is resistant to powdery mildew or like, pathogens like those are things to really consider because you might have a super fire flower but it yields 35 grams a square foot i mean you're not gonna be able to grow it nobody nobody's gonna grow that um but and that's one of the things you know hopefully one day there'll be a connoisseur market that will allow us to really focus on stuff that's super super rare and unique um and that we can't grow like nowadays like stuff that's like a 16 month or 16 week flowering period mm. you can't grow that stuff indoors you know like a neville's haze but if you could and you had a market for it that would pay for it, that would be incredible because you would have a lot more unique flavors out there.
And that that's one of one of the questions I was gonna ask because I, I ask every cultivator this. I'm not a grower myself. I always I'll always be transparent about that. But in being a nerd and a lover of the plant in this industry, I, I've I've learned that right. Like that in in this commercial market, I mean, it's always mattered, but especially in this day and age, right? The um, the yield matters and THC percentage matters. Whether we as an industry have, we've all came together and said it doesn't fucking matter, but it matters right. to consumers. So it matters yeah. to buyers. Therefore it matters to, to, to <laughs> brands and cultivations. What are some of the strains that you absolutely love that you're unable to produce because of yield or THC percentage? Like that it just doesn't make sense to the market, but you as a consumer, if you had your way, you, you'd be growing more of. The, yeah. The pre 98 bomb is a great example. Um, and everybody in our inner circle knows and loves that strain, you know. Uh, so it doesn't yield great. You know, it's on the lower end of the yield. It's kind of acceptable. Like you could run it. It has a yield that you could survive. But THE is 18, 90%. So you can't get away with that, you know. Like in today's market, you try to put it on the shelf, no one's going to buy it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's something that I found from every single grower that I've talked to is like they got one strain that like the THC yeah. percentage is like the market rejects it. And they're like, yo, I just wish I just wish that it didn't matter, you know, and, and as yeah. a, to, to your point, I, I look forward to that to that day where there is more, um, you know, more more room for connoisseur products, whether it's a higher price point, understanding that that, you know, the consumers can understand this doesn't yield very much. Therefore, the price is high because it's 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 rare, right? We can't produce enough of this to make it financially viable. So it's got to be more. We see it in wine. I know some people like the comparisons. Some people hate them. But, you know, you see it in wine, the limited special reserve batches of certain things command a crazy high price point. It's due to scarcity, you know. Um, I, I look forward to that type of stuff coming. coming yeah. to this and, and I think it will. It's just going to be a couple of years down the road, you know. For now, we're we're t we're ruled by THC and, and lo, high THC, low price. It's it's, it's a shame, but that's, that's it is what it is, man. I mean, we're we're at part of that. Um, what what are some of the other things? I know, obviously, you know, we're talking about a little bit beforehand. You got some operations in Nevada and are looking to expand. What's what's kind of the next couple steps for Clay Nine? Yeah, you know, I think um, the, the next steps are surviving California, hopefully, you know, because just it's a crazy market. Yeah, we just don't know how it's going to be. Um, expanding into new jersey and maybe a couple other states we we do have like a footprint in nevada through a, a partner named virtue um but it's it's their brand we just kind of support them on the genetic side and uh, cultivation support but um yeah no i think in california we want to stay focused really and just um, stick around and uh i think look at markets that you have a better chance of making some money like new jersey potentially or Illinois or Florida, they're more insulated, gives you a little bit more of a, of a chance, you know, as a business. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're def definitely seeing, seeing that, that trends across cannabis where like, like you were saying earlier, you know, California due to how competitive it is and how, you know, it's, it's difficult to operate in some of these other markets and it's saturated, right? Like that's one of the, the biggest things that not yeah. a lot of people talk about. There's, there's in some of these markets, it's either the taxes that are putting stuff out of the, you know, making making the, the legal system have some or contributing to the issues of the legal legal uh legal system or it's simply the oversupply right like at the end of the day this is economics it's supply and demand and anywhere there's price compression there's clearly there, there's too much supply you know what i mean and it's it's a sad reality it's a hard conversation to have but it's it's the only way we're going to see some of this profitability show up and kind of more businesses is adjusting one of those taxes or, or scale yeah i agree for sure 
Um, all right, man. Well, you know, for people out there that want to find more information, clade9.com. That's the number, clade, the number nine.com. Um, anything else you want to plug before I get you up out of here, Dave? Um, I would say that if you're interested in our product here in California, the best way to find us is on Weed Maps. Just look for the brand clade9, C L A D E, the number nine, and um, you'll be able to find some of our flower. Thank you for the support ahead of time. 100 man well yeah you guys definitely check that out man they got the proprietary proprietary genetics so check out the stuff that dave's been over there breeding and nerding out on man they got some good weed uh straight out of la man i appreciate you hopping on here everyone tuning in if you're watching on youtube the subscribe button's a little bit below dave if you're listening on spotify apple make sure to hit follow like leave a comment even if you got hate man send that send those shots this way we'll, we'll, we'll welcome them with open arms uh appreciate for everyone for tuning in